0: Let's pray together. O oh Lord, we give you thanks for your word, finer than gold and sweeter than honey. We yearn today for your Holy Spirit's blessing, and that, as a psalmist prays, prays that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts may be acceptable to you, even this morning. O oh Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. It's good to see as many of you this morning as I see from up here. I thought, I told Alfred, maybe we can have the chapel in my office. There are no classes going on this week and many of you, or many of our colleagues are on vacation. Uh, So let me start off by saying in the dead of summer now, with so few here, don't think of yourselves as those who have been left behind. But let this space, the architecture, you know, I've been looking around here while we were singing. They're, they're, uh, let it inspire you to think about the new heaven and new earth. The windows here have fish and loaves and wheat and strawberries even. A new heaven and a new earth. We are God's holy remnant. My reflections today are based on Psalm 19, which uh, James read for us, and in in particular, verses 7 to 11. C.S. Lewis calls this psalm the greatest poem in the Psalter because it's carried by this deep undercurrent of joy. And it's based on a commitment to the word of God and dependence on his power. My focus will be on Verses seven to eleven, but just prior to those verses um, is praise as testimony about God's handiwork, the daytime sky, which I think in Israel looks a little different than uh, than our Ontario haze, the firmament and its heavenly bodies, speaking about God, proclaiming His glory and creative activity, voicelessly, universally. Visible to all of us and without end. And so, talking about joy and all of this, verses 4 to 6, I'll just read them again and just picture this maybe by looking up there behind me. In the heavens, God has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy. And like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Nothing is hid from its heat. A great image. I like that. I was thinking about that as a canopy. We have many hymns that are inspired by Psalm 19. Uh, you go through the hymnal and look at those hymns that we choose when we're doing a church picnic or outside in nature, often making reference to Psalm 19 helping us to praise God for the beauty of nature and also to motivate us to enjoy and protect the integrity of God's creation. And then we move into verses 7 to 11, which make clear that these testimonies, this praise of God through nature, comes from the eyes of faith. They're born out of Israel's engagement with God, with uh, the story with God. So in, at the beginning of the psalm, in verse 1, we're introduced to God using the name El. But now in verse 7, it's Yahweh. And fittingly, we have a series of parallel statements about the Torah or law. So let me just recount that part again and paraphrase it just a bit. The law of Yahweh is perfect reviving the soul the decrees of Yahweh are sure making wise the simple the precepts of Yahweh are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of Yahweh is clear enlightening the eyes the fear of Yahweh is pure enduring forever The ordinances of Yahweh are true and righteous altogether, more to be desired than gold and even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So, administrative bylaws, say from the CFO decrees from Gary's office, precepts from the dean's office, commandments from the registrar's office, ordinances from facility and maintenance. These are hardly the things that we typically praise, although we know that they help with good order. Oh, Gary pr- thinks we should. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but the Torah... The law of Yahweh is different. The writer of the psalm knows that we are made for it. And so you have this seamless movement from uh, the chorus of the sun and the firmament to the Torah. For like the Torah, the sun and Torah, they pierce everything. Everything is detected. Nothing is hidden from the heat of God's sun or the written word. Now, if we are honest with ourselves, each of us, despite our busyness, we know that we have this desire for renewal, for joy, for wisdom, for enlightenment, for yearning—all uh, these things that are in the psalm. This, uh, the images of dripping honeycomb you know it made me think of all the pictures that friends are posting right now on Facebook from their vacations you probably looked at a few of those images this morning too the early church father Augustine could confess our souls really are not at rest until they find their rest in you because God speaks in his handiwork, in the firmament, as well as th- through his word with clarity, the claim of scripture is that we come to our true selves in hearing the word and in meditating on God's word. Most of our denominational uh, confessions of faith have a statement on scripture. We have one for Tyndale as well. The confession of faith from my tribe, the Mennonites, has the following statement. The Bible is the essential book of the church. Why essential? It goes on to say, because through it, the Holy Spirit nurtures our obedience of faith to Jesus Christ and guides the church in shaping its teaching, teaching, witnessing, and worship. That is why this book is not just any book. There are many great writings out there for us to study, and we do study them here at Tyndale as well. But this book is holy scripture. Hence, we, the confession goes on, We commit ourselves to persist and delight in reading, studying, and meditating on the scriptures. So I'm going to unpack that a little bit as if we were on vacation, although we're not, but we're in worship. The book of Holy Scripture that we all have multiple copies of contains all sorts of smaller books, letters, Gospels, poetic and wisdom literature, apocalyptic texts, and a whole lot more. And together we refer to them as the Holy Bible. Although my Bible today says note takers Bible, the other one that I was using at home has had very clearly on the side, and on the edge, Holy Bible. It's holy, we say it's holy, because A, of its divine origins, and B, because of the way we use the Bible. We read, we study, we meditate, and a few of us dare to step up into a pulpit and try and preach these texts because we have the reasonable expectation that, again, two parts here, We have the reasonable expectation that God, through God's Holy Spirit, is at work revealing not just facts or information or ideas, but above all, God is revealing God's very self to us through these texts. And then secondly, in reading and meditating on these texts, we also believe that God's Holy Spirit nurtures something in us, nurtures in us a fitting response in our worship, in our obedience, and in our discipleship. We're at a seminary and university college, and we also know, we can say it, that these are also human texts, right? Artifacts written at a certain time and place by writers, some of them knew their Greek and Hebrew well when they wrote the text some of them didn't write Greek that well and they were limited by their own time and their own culture the originals we know, we don't have them, we have lots of manuscripts found in different museums and, and archives throughout the world each have their share of textual errors and omissions and additions that you just might expect if there's some pious scribe writing that down and then our scholars paste all of that together and try and get the best text that they can muster and then it gets translated into English or Latin or German or Mandarin or Nuktituk and you get more errors sometimes it's more or less acceptable though and In this regard, the Bible is like so many of our other ancient texts. But nonetheless, again, we're at a seminary at University Christian College. We confess that God has taken this bundle of texts, sets it aside, orders it, preserves it, and continues to use exactly and only these writings For a very specific end, namely to point us to God's own self revelation. In and through these texts, we come to know, love, and fear above all things God, and are revived, made wise, granted joy, and trained in righteousness. Again, as some might argue, this is not a paper pope. There's no immediacy of revelation. We have writings here by prophets and apostles that point us to God's revelation. This is written over a thousand years span, but it's essential for the church because through its reception, the study, the study of the text and the proclamation, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is actively revealing himself, graciously bestowing himself to us, turning towards us in a saving and regenerating way in the Holy Spirit. That's not magic. It's nothing we can do about that. God is at work. God is the subject of his own self-revelation. Every time we gather for worship, we... Pray, We ask God to be present. Of course, God is already present. But we want, through God's Holy Spirit, and again, there's so much rich imagery here in, in this chapel to help us conceive of that. We expect and ask God to show up, especially when Scripture is read and proclaimed, and we, we as James did, we pray for ourselves to be attentive, alert to how God's Spirit might be speaking through these broken words of all of our preachers and I, through me included, that somehow God does something with that and speaks to you and me and all of us together as a community of faith, uh, God's will. This word, as the text suggested, is like the piercing heat of the sun this word is active holy spirit or holy scripture promises to accost us legitimately effectively to enable us to die to our old selves and to rise again in Christ Think about that when you're lying under the sun later on in August, under the baking under the heat of the sun, about what God's, how God's word maybe works. Sees everything, bakes us, calls for something to die and for something new to come, come to life. It requires a certain attention to the words of Scripture on our part and a refusal to let our minds and hearts be seized by other distractions. We have to willingly submit ourselves to be purified in order to be restored and reconstituted. This invitation to die to self in Christ is essential to discipleship. And it's a call to forego all sorts of other things, a fascination with things that clamor for our attention. It calls us... To pray because we know we can't do this on our own. There are so many things that clamor for our attention. And it is only God's spirit that can help us to really change the channel. And that's more than just turning off our cell phones uh, occasionally. But to free our minds and our wills for hearing God. The capacity to read scripture as people who are really reading as uh, who are committed to following Christ in life, eager to do what the word is calling us to do and to be made by God in God's Holy Spirit. So reading the Bible, as all of us know, is not always easy. There are a lot of difficult texts and that's why many of us are here. And of course we draw on reason and experience and science Hugh is here. We try and use the library. We take courses from our professors here. But all of that only goes so far. What is bracketing and embracing and governing all of that that we do, whether we read scripture in worship as this morning or in small groups in Bible study or Sunday school or at home, embracing all of that is the promise that God's Spirit is at work, enabling the encounter of a saving God and me. And this, again, I look at this chapel. This symbol here, I believe, that we see on the ceiling is, is to symbolize the fish, Ichthus, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. That symbol I can see on the door straight out. I see it on the ceiling. I see it on the floor. I see it all around me. Being in here, I, am, I know that I am and, and all the things that we do and our imperfections are bracketed, are embraced, are governed by God, by Christ's spirit, working, saving, and redeeming us. The human words and ideas and the witness in God's word by prophets and apostles These are God's vehicles. This is God's vehicle for speaking and for his saving presence among us. God is acting this way even before we enter into this place, even after we leave. And if all that is the case, our study here, seeking to become scholars, isn't really the last word. The faithful reading of scripture in the end is not about mastering the text but about becoming students in the school of Christ made teachable by God's spirit who is at work and nudging us creating in us this deep desire to encounter God and to respond in obedience. And the psalmist confesses By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Scripture, as we know, uh, when we work with it, it's, yes, it's like honey, it's like gold. But we also know, especially in this place, you can use scripture poorly as well. And uh, I had... One of our books that we use in spiritual formation talks about Bible roulette. You know, you just, okay, pick one verse or put your finger in the Bible. Okay, that is what God is calling me to do today. No, that is more superstition than piety. Or reading the Bible in a flat way as if every verse from Genesis to Revelation has the same weight for discerning God's will today. Recently, I had the opportunity um, to read through again from my tribe the Mennonite press during the Nazi era. So publications written in Canada through in the 1930s publications in Germany in the 1930s from Mennonites there and there had been some that had been helped by Germany to get out of the Soviet Union and migrated to Paraguay with Germany's help in the 1930s and looking at those Biblical meditations. Some of them were great. Some of them were done in a scholarly way. Some of them had a more pietist flavor. Uh, there are some liberal German Mennonites. And there are some that are very heavily influenced by the pietist revival movements of the, of the 19th century. And I must say I was appalled uh, by what I read whether they were located here in Canada or in Germany or or elsewhere. And a reminder again that each generation has to build up its interpretive, its hermeneutical muscle. And we know that our world and our conundrums today are no less complex than in the 1930s, you know. Many of us are looking south nowadays and what's happening in America, we don't know, you know. In Canada, no doubt, as is, is well. Scripture can be like honey, but it can also be used to oppress, depress, repress, and justify some of our worst sins. So it's not always easy, it can be complex. But on the other hand, it's much simpler than we might suppose. So my encouragement for you this summer is simply to open the book. Take time to read it. Immerse yourself into the story like you would with a good novel. Many of you have read Henry Nowen's prodigal, The Prodigal Son, right? Put on the characters of Scripture. Put on the, the prodigal son character and see what it does to you. How does it interpret your life? How can you see begin to see the world differently and then put on this character of the elder son how does that interpret you how does that make sense out of so much that we're seeing around us put on the character of the criminal that was crucified beside Christ tell yourself you are that congregation in Corinth right enter into the world of scripture begin reframing the way you look at yourself and reframe the way you're looking at the world and God and you will discover. Yes. Exactly that which the psalmist has said. Indeed, that's true. I I want more. Jesus calls us his friends, John 15, and promises to be with us always even till the end of the age. And scripture is the place where we can over the summertime reacquaint ourselves with this friend to walk with him a little further to deepen the conversation and to grow in that friendship and there's no way of growing that friendship which God requires independent of instruction in scripture and doctrine this is the way that Christ builds up his kingdom and strengthens the church and all that said simply remember we're made for it. Essentially, if God speaks right at the beginning of Genesis, that's how we are presented with God a God who speaks. That means that we who are created in God's image are hearers, hearers, hearers of the word. We're made for this book. The words in this book perfect and revive the soul. Make wise the simple, cause our heart to rejoice, enlighten our eyes, give us truth that is pure and enduring, more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And in keeping them, the psalmist promises that there is great reward. May that be your experience this summer as well. Amen. Let me give the benediction. Friends, as you move into the summer, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit abide with you, walk with you, inspire you, And make your life rich. Go now in the peace of Christ.